The great Mike Lindell went on Jimmy Kimmel's woke late night show. Kimmel tried to mock and ridicule Mike, but Mike responded with tremendous grace and wit. What Mike was able to achieve in that single appearance was truly amazing. Today, I'll take a look at exactly what happened and tell you why Mike Lindell scored a huge victory for the conservative cause. Then, in our Behind the Headlines segment, Elon Omar is kicked off the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and that's a very good thing for America. A Republican politician in New Jersey is murdered, raising troubling questions about violent crime and political violence in America. And Nikki Haley announces that she will soon officially announce her officially boring and uninspiring bid for the pinnacle of American officialdom, the presidency of the United States. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Mike Lindell is a great American. I have been greatly privileged to fight alongside him and also work for him as my pillow's general counsel. I can tell you from personal experience that Mike is an outstanding Christian leader, a stalwart conservative, and also a very good man. Mike is willing to put everything on the line for America and the cause of freedom. And so Mike recently went into the lion's den. Now, Jimmy Kimmel is a radical leftist. His show has not been kind to Republicans or conservatives. Not long ago, Kimmel invited Mike to go on his show. Let's watch. I can't, though, because he's not vaccinated. He's an anti-vaxxer. We have a policy here. You're not vaccinated. You can't come in our building. But, Mike, here's what I will offer, okay? You can come to L.A. You can even park in our parking lot if you want. There's a Dave & Buster's across the street, okay? (laughs) And inside that Dave & Buster's is a claw machine. We will put you in this claw machine, (laughs) and I will interview safely from there. I know you're very focused on machines, um, and that way you can get your message out, maybe even take home a stuffed monkey. Jimmy Kimmel was ridiculing Mike, and he wasn't being very kind. But Mike, being the very good sport that he is, agreed to do it. I bet Jimmy Kimmel was not expecting that. Mike later explained that he decided to go on Kimmel's show because he will do whatever it takes to save our country. And if that meant going on Kimmel's show and being mocked, well, that's a small price to pay given what's at stake. So Mike did the interview from inside a claw machine. And Mike knocked it out of the park. In fact, when historians look back at this current period in American politics, I believe they will point to Mike's interview on Kimmel's show as a turning point. Because Mike Lindell, by being such a good sport, by using self-deprecating humor, by playing along with all the jabs thrown at him, he was able to disarm the left, open up the minds of the mostly left-leaning Kimmel audience, and get them thinking about the problem of election security. Mike got his message out, but more than that, he broke down the mental defenses that so many people have built up on the left that caused them to tune out anything a conservative says. And so Mike won a lot of new fans through his appearance on Kimmel, and he planted seeds in the minds of people who have, until now, dismissed all talk about election integrity and voting machines as conspiracy theories. Kimmel started off the interview with a loaded question that wasn't very nice. Kimmel, at least at the very start of the interview, seemed to be out to get Mike but Mike quickly disarmed Kimmel with his good-natured attitude and the power of humor. Let's watch. question, Mike, is why do you think people don't take you seriously? Well, I, you know, I want to tell you this, Jimmy. Remember okay. when we were kids and uh, we questioned these carnival games, whether they were rigged or not? Yeah, right. But when, but when we spoke up back then, we didn't get sued, did we? No, that's right. Hey, Mike, get rid of that kid. Will you give him a toy or something like that? There you go. You got a winner. It's a big game. It's a big game. It's a big game. (laughs) Mike, I know that you're distrustful of machines. Now that you're inside one, do you feel differently? 
No, same thing. There's, so there are computers can be rigged out there. Yeah, absolutely. In elections, you know that. So Mike was already getting his message out there in that initial response to Kimball's first question. Remember when we were kids, Mike asked, and, and we questioned whether those carnival games were rigged or not, and, and we, we wouldn't get sued, would we? Well, that's brilliant. And Mike is right. There was a time in America when you could freely ask questions about the way things worked and criticize the status quo in the government, and you wouldn't have to worry about getting sued for doing it. Americans all understand that that is how it is supposed to be. That's how America is supposed to work. It's called free speech. It's protected by the First Amendment, and it's at the core of our constitutional republic. So that's a great start to the interview, and Mike keeps on going, responding to Kimball's jabs with humor and grace. So let's watch a little more. Did you ask Donald Trump uh, whether you should do this or not? Do you run this sort of thing by him? No, I didn't, Jimmy. I did this all on my own. I wanted to be on your show. You, you, you know, you kept telling me to come on, but you, you know, I seen the monologue there. You said it's because to put me in here because I was wasn't vaccinated. You tricked me. You did it to be funny, huh? Yeah, no, I didn't. No, I didn't want you in there because you weren't vaccinated. I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I don't even remember why I decided you should be in there. Just, <laughs> no, you said it on your show. It seemed like a good idea when it happened. I have to say, I was very surprised when you said. You would do it, but you know, I put it out there, and so you said yes. So yeah. I, you know, I'm honoring that commitment that I made on the air. <laughs> so, not surprisingly, Kimball's question there tried to attack Mike by tying him to Trump. And again, Mike responds by pointing out that when Kimball invited him back on the show, Kimball said that Mike would have to be in the claw machine because Mike isn't vaccinated. That's exactly what Kimball said. In fact, we saw that in a clip from Kimball's earlier show. Mike adds in a bit of humor by saying that Kimmel tricked him and that Kimmel actually put him in the claw machine to be funny. That's really well played. It's funny because Mike is getting a laugh by pointing out the obvious. But at the same time, Mike was able to get in his point that Kimmel was concerned about Mike's vaccination status. And when Kimmel brushes that comment aside, it reduces his credibility just a little bit, at least subconsciously, with the audience. Mike is using humor to make sure that everyone is seeing the interview in the proper frame. Kimmel is the aggressor. Kimmel is being a bit unfair, and Mike is being a good sport, and also an authentic person who is there to have some fun and also get his message out. Well played, Mike. A bit later on, after some humorous back and forth, Kimmel says something that's really quite interesting. I can't hear you. you, ch- you I'm ch- sorry. It turns out you're locked inside a claw machine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the differences between you and the claw machine is claw machines let go. And you will not let go of this voting thing, will you? Never. I want to save. I want to help save our country, and I love our country. I love the people in our country, and uh, we've got to get rid of the computers in our in our elections. Mike, I have to tell you, and I mean this sincerely. I believe that you that you believe this stuff. I believe that you are really convinced that. Did you catch that? Kimmel states what everyone knows is true. Mike really believes everything that he's saying, and he has demonstrated that through action. And this is one of the reasons that Mike is so popular and able to win over people's hearts and minds. It's because Mike is genuine and authentic. He believes what he says, and he never wavers in his belief. He is genuinely trying to save our country, and he is willing to personally sacrifice quite a bit to do it. And our country genuinely does need saving. By the end of the interview, Mike had successfully gotten his message out. He has people thinking about election security, and he has boosted his own credibility by his authenticity and through the use of humor. In fact, Jimmy Kimmel undergoes something of a transformation through the course of the interview. At the beginning of the interview, as we saw, Kimmel launched in with some pretty aggressive questions and derogatory comments. But by the end, Kimmel has changed. Let's watch. 
I'm going to get you back in that ice hole real quick. Let's smash this crab grabber to smithereens. All right. Don't hurt Mike. All right. Just come on. And security, please. Get the other Mike Rendell out of the... Mike, one more thing. Have you, what do you, have you met this guy, George Santos? No. What do you think of him? Is that the guy that was just here? No. <laughs> That's a different guy. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, thank you, Mike, for, um, you know what? I have to say um, one thing about you is you are definitely committed, and you should probably be committed, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, Mike Lindell, everybody, the My Pillow guy. Did you see that? Jimmy Kimmel, a man who has for quite some time now, years, been on the attack against conservatives, a shill for everything woke and leftist, was actually laughing with Mike, not at him. Kimmel was smiling and doing it genuinely. And Mike's response to the question, have you ever met this guy, George Santos, was perfect. Mike said, no, was that the guy who was just here? Mike is laughing along with the joke, but at the same time, everyone knows George Santos is a liar. And so Mike's answer sends a subtle message. We all know this caricature of me isn't at all true, but it's still a bit funny. And Mike demonstrates that he has the ability to laugh at himself. Now, arrogant people can't do that. Arrogant people are too insecure to laugh at jokes at their own expense. But Mike shows that he is secure and confident and not at all arrogant. And by conveying that message and through the use of humor, by lowering himself by putting himself in a claw machine, Mike wins over the entire audience, including Kimmel himself. That interview was a masterclass in how to persuade, how to sac sacrifice in service of a greater cause, and how to be a good, humble, decent person. And that's exactly what Mike is. That's who he is. And that's one reason why Mike is so popular. He is fighting for the right cause and for America. And he's a good guy who is generous, genuine, and authentic, and who has a sense of humor. He doesn't take himself too seriously. In fact, he takes fighting for what is good and right more seriously than he takes himself or his own position or status or wealth. I think that comes naturally to Mike because he's a genuine born-again Christian. When you truly accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you subordinate yourself to the will of the Lord and you find your identity in Christ. With Christ as Lord, you don't have to take your own ego so seriously. Even as you work to make disciples, you can laugh at yourself and find humor in the world. You are freed from the bondage of self-worship and material striving. People can see these qualities in Mike, and that's why Mike topped the Rasmussen poll of likely Republican voters who were asked who they'd like to see become the chair of the RNC. Unfortunately, most of the RNC delegates apparently don't care what the people think. They have their own agendas. They're mostly moderate, swampy rhinos who care nothing uh, about anything really other than their own power and themselves. And that's what it appears like in any, in any event. But in a popular election, Mike Lindell would be a brilliant candidate. In that Jimmy Kimmel interview, we saw just how persuasive and disarming he can be. If you go and look at comments that regular people have left on clips of the interview on various video platforms, you'll find comment after comment from people not just on the right, but also on the left, praising Mike Lindell for his authenticity, good nature, humor, and commitment to our country. It's very unfortunate that so many of the RNC delegates are apparently focused more on themselves and their own power than anything else. And the same is true for many swampy rhino establishment GOP politicians, and elites. As I've said time and time again, Republicans can't win elections by going Democrat light. We win elections by being authentic, standing up for what we believe in, and bringing the fight to the Democrats. We can do that in a winsome way. We need to invoke emotion, use humor, and not take ourselves too seriously. But when GOP candidates run to the middle, as soon as they get past the endorsement or primary stage of the election, 
They don't win over people in the middle. All they end up doing is demonstrating that they're wishy-washy and not trustworthy, while at the same time undermining their conservative base and accepting the Democrats' frame of argument. Mike Lindell is a massive asset to the Republican Party and the Republican conservative cause precisely because he is solidly conservative, always authentic, and has a genuine love for our country. On the Jimmy Kimmel Show, Mike demonstrated just how powerful and effective and persuasive he truly is. He showed how conservatives can win the culture war. Mike would be a great candidate for any office, and he would be a great RNC chair. It's exciting to consider those possibilities for the future. So let's all be thankful and pray for Mike Lindell and for all conservative leaders who put country before self. Let's take inspiration from Mike and rededicate ourselves to the cause of freedom. And let's redouble our efforts to help bring America back to its founding principles. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. If you like the content that we are providing, uh, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel. Doing those things really does help us tremendously. So now on to behind the headlines. Republicans have booted Minnesota Democratic Representative Elon Omar off of the Foreign Affairs Committee. This is a very good move, of course, but I'm sure as you've seen, the Democrats, they have completely lost their minds over this. Theatrical performances from Representative Rashida Tlaib and AOC were unhinged and ridiculous and actually kind of hilarious. Representative Omar also delivered a completely tone-deaf speech where she pledged to continue using her voice to fight for what she believes in. So let's take a look at what Representative Omar believes. Remember this little speech she gave at the CARE event? Let's play the clip. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. So some people did something. That's a very interesting way to describe the murderous and terrible attack uh, by Islamic extremists and fundamentalists on 9-11 that killed nearly 3,000 Americans. She didn't want to say who those people are because she was al she's always apologizing for those people. She is always trying to downplay the terrible evils perpetrated against humanity by radical Islamists. And here's another way that she did exactly that. Uh, remember this tweet? She tweeted, We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. So Elon Omar equated the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban, two groups of terrible, hateful terrorists. False equivalencies like that give cover to terrorist groups. It also reflects deep-seated anti-Semitism. And there's no doubt about that. Elon Omar is an anti-Semite. You can always count on her to stand up for Palestinian terrorists and denounce the state of Israel for defending itself against those who want to see Israel destroyed. You see, the Democrats say they're opposed to racism in all forms, unless it's from one of their allies. Omar's past anti-Semitic comments are forgiven by the left because she constantly parrots the left's anti-American agenda. So the Republicans were right to kick Representative Omar off of the Foreign Affairs Committee. She, of all people, should be grateful to the United States. She fled a war-torn, impoverished country and is now a wealthy, high-status congresswoman. Her life is infinitely better because of the United States, and yet she has spent most of her time in government denigrating and ridiculing this great country. I hope the people of our country stop sending anti-American and anti-Semitic politicians to Congress. These days, it's hard to tell the difference between Chicom assets 
and spoiled brats. So the House GOP moved to oust anti-Semite, anti-American Elon Omar from the, a committee that deals with our nation's foreign affairs was absolutely the right thing to do. It, it's, it's far past time that that was done. Based on Elon Omar's own past statements, it's hard to know whose side she's really on, but we know this, it's not the side of America. So kudos to Kevin McCarthy for sticking to his guns in this fight. Let's pray that he continues to have courage to fight these battles that, that advance the conservative cause and help get our country back on the path to its founding principles. Our next story today comes from New Jersey, where a politician was murdered, shot in her car. Terrible story. Have you heard about this story? Perhaps not. You would think a story like this would be huge national news, you know, on headlines, round the clock, CNN, Fox News, every channel. But it's not. The councilwoman was Eunice Dwumfor of the borough of Sayreville, New Jersey. Eunice was a Republican and a strong Christian. Now, if Eunice were a Democrat, the leftist legacy media would no doubt be on the airwaves talking about how this kind of violence is unacceptable, talking about right-wing terrorism and the threat to our very democracy and the Republic. But since the deceased was not a Democrat, the story has been picked up only very slowly and given far less attention than it deserves. By all accounts, it sounds like the councilwoman was passionate about public service, loved her community, and will be missed by those who knew her. So we offer our prayers for her family and for all those affected by this horrific and terrible crime. One thing is for certain, violent crime is out of control in our country, particularly in our large cities. It's something we absolutely must take very seriously and tackle aggressively. And that starts with more resources and support for local police. But the Democrats, the ones who control the vast majority of our large cities, when they're asked about crime and its causes, what do they do? Well, they generally excuse criminality. They say most criminals are the victims of poverty or racism or generational struggle or what have you. And their solution? More leftist government programs, because that always works, right? Do they think more police might solve crime? Help keep violent offenders off the streets? Absolutely not. That would be oppressive and counterproductive, the left says. Let them all out of prison. Let everybody out of prison and let's just have chaos. The left never wants to talk about the real root cause of crime, and that is the breakdown of the family, because the left wants the family to break down. That's how they can grow government and build their socialist dystopia. They got to get the family out of the way because that allows for freedom to flourish, allows people to become good citizens who make decisions and build productive lives. They don't want that. That gets in the way of government control. So how do we truly solve the problem of out-of-control crime? Well, it's, it, this isn't really terribly complicated. It has basically two parts. The solution has two basic parts. The first part involves enforcement of the law. Common sense, right? We need to cultivate a culture that supports local police and make sure that, that we can recruit and retain police officers. We need to make sure violent crime has consequences by enforcing our laws. We gotta put violent criminals into prison. Once they're arrested by the police, we need to make sure that they're locked up put behind bars. There has to be a consequence for breaking the law. We need to prosecute criminals, get them off of our streets. That's the first part, enforcing the law. Second part is all about the family. We need to focus on restoring and shoring up the institution of the nuclear biological family, the biggest predictor of whether a child will become a juvenile delinquent and then enter a life of crime is the lack of a father in the home. So we need to wage a campaign against fatherlessness and remove the perverse government incentives that encourage it. We need to stand up for the traditional roles of mother and father. We need to fight the family-destroying trans agenda. Strong nuclear families are the best and only way to create productive citizens who don't commit crimes, and all the data demonstrate that fact. But this story of the horrific murder of the councilwoman in New Jersey also raises a, the prospect of political violence. Now, we don't know what the motive was uh, for the, the, the murder at the time of this recording. 
But was it politically motivated? We don't know. But this we do know. The left has a long history of supporting violence to achieve political ends. Leftists ignore the Constitution. Their judges effectively rewrite the Constitution to reflect their political opinions. Leftists re replace individual justice based on guilt and innocence with social justice based on a political agenda. When the law is no longer law, but only a means to an end, and encourage people, encourages people to consider using illegal means to achieve the ends that the law, that the left bends the law to serve. So that is, when the law is just tossed away as a concept, when the law becomes a political tool, well, then people start thinking about, uh, you know, we don't need to follow the law. So we can use illegal means to go ahead and achieve our political ends as well. It opens the door for that kind of chaos. Political violence, then, is the logical consequence of abandoning the rule of law. And that's why we always need to stand up for the rule of law. We must fight the morass of regulations that make the law confusing and difficult to follow. We must oppose judges who bend the law to meet their political whims. And we must oppose like omnibus bills and other processes that make the laws and regulations so long that they can't even be read, let alone understood. Everything that chips away at the rule of law pushes us further down the road to agenda-driven government, political violence, and tyranny. And that's exactly where the left is trying to take us. Third and finally today, Nikki Haley has announced that she is going to officially announce that she is running for president. And she's going to do that on February 15th. Hooray. Exactly 14 Republicans in the United States are excited about her candidacy. The only other people who are excited are all Democrats. That's because Nikki Haley is an America last candidate, and she's a terribly bad speaker, too. She has only slightly more charisma than Hillary Clinton. Not much more. What's more, Nikki Haley flips and flops on just about every issue. Take the most recent example running for president. Mere months ago, she said she would not run for president if President Trump decided to run again. Well, she apparently changed her mind. I wonder how she will explain that one. Here's another example. After January 6th, Nikki Haley blamed President Trump for the incident at the Capitol, and she said that Republicans need to move on without Trump. But not much later, she made public comments that were quite favorable to President Trump. Perhaps she conducted a poll of some sort that showed her exactly how she feels about January 6th. And don't forget about what, what Nikki Haley said about George Floyd. After the George Floyd incident, Haley sent out a series of tweets and it included this tweet. She tweeted, we are in this together. We are not a perfect country, but we have to fight to make her better. It will take all of us. Most people in our country think what happened was wrong. Our leaders need to step up and bring everyone together in the name of George Floyd. In the name of George Floyd? That sounds like some kind of leftist atheist prayer to St. George Floyd spoken at a BLM rally. So an anti-Trump, pro-BLM, flip-flopping rhino wants to run for president as a Republican. Well, she can try, but I think the America First movement will be a force that she will not be able to overcome. In our party, we have conservatives and libertarians, moderates, and then we also have left-wing assets. I think we all know under which category Ambassador Haley falls. Now it's time to answer a question from our audience. Now, every show, I choose a question submitted by our viewers and listeners to answer. You can email your questions to the show uh, using the email address in the description of the show, or you can just drop a question into the comments. Today, our question comes from Dan in Jacksonville, Florida, who asks, do you think that China will actually pull the trigger and launch an invasion of Taiwan within the next year or so? Well, that's a very good question, Dan. 
We do know the CCP has been overflying Taiwan's airspace and amping up its aggressive rhetoric toward Taiwan. And we also know that President Xi, Chinese President Xi, uh, has the desire to cement his legacy and has been talking about the forcible annexation of Taiwan as a way to do that. What's more, the CCP may see an invasion of Taiwan as a means of promoting nationalism at home. Basically, uh, they're having a lot of trouble at home with their economy. There's been a lot of unrest. Uh, they might believe that by going on the offense and going after Taiwan, invading Taiwan, they can whip up nationalist fervor and, and direct people's attention away from all, all the problems at home. So there's definitely a very real possibility that China may attempt an invasion. But ultimately, absent some unforeseeable change in circumstances, I really don't think that they're going to pull the trigger and decide to invade Taiwan anytime soon. And there are a lot of reasons for this. First, any conflict that the CCP initiates would have very dramatic negative impacts for China's economy and severely limit their ability to trade, to import goods and to export goods, critically. And China's economy is already very shaky. It might not be able to survive the shock of not being able to export goods. If China can't export goods, its economy would collapse. If they can't import food and other things that they need, that'd be very bad for their economy and their people as well. It might destabilize the CCP regime. The financial markets might collapse. In addition, China would face crippling economic sanctions from just about every country in the world uh, if they went ahead and invaded Taiwan. Just look at what happened uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine. They probably looked at that and are thinking, you know what, we don't want to have that kind of international outrage against us because their economy is so export driven. Uh, what's more, even if China were to go ahead and invade Taiwan and occupy it, they would face a very hostile population. They'd have to occupy an, uh, an island with a very hostile population that would constantly be pushing back at them, and the economy of the island would be shattered and devastated, and that, that would include the, the critical semiconductor industry that is based in Taiwan. And those are all big negatives for China as well. And finally, China knows that there's a very good chance that the United States would intervene in the event that they decide to try to invade Taiwan, and China wouldn't be assured of a victory. And they have seen the international outrage against Russia when it invaded Ukraine, like I said. So uh, those are things that will deter China. But the biggest deterrent of a CCP invasion of Taiwan is a strong American military commitment to Taiwan's defense. So America needs to do everything possible to prevent the CCP from invading the free and prosperous country of Taiwan. If we want to ensure that China never invades, then we need to make it very clear that China will face the full opposition of the U.S. military if they try. A show of strength and a show of solidarity with Taiwan now is the only way for, to prevent war. All right, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you appreciate the content that we're providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel. Doing all those things helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.